Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And of course, if this is your first time listening or you just recently found us, thanks so much for putting us in your ears. Get in touch with us on social at IT Women's Podcast or email us thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com to let us know what you think about this episode or about anything you'd like us to cover in the future. We love hearing from you. In this episode, we're going to turn to the upcoming referendums on March 8th, which centre around the Family Amendment and the Care Amendment, and something we've discussed on this podcast many times over the years, the proposed deletion of Article 41.2, which says, in particular, the state recognises that by her life within the home, women gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. The state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. I am actually the mother of three children now and I would like my children to see that a woman's place is in the revolution and not in the home and that it's important that our children see us as critical thinking individuals who have the rights to go out and be whatever they want to be. That was artist Aideen Barry there. So we're going to hear from the no-no and the yes-yes camps later and get an overview from our political correspondent Jennifer Bray. But first, I wanted to mention the death of a woman called Anne Delaney. She was a homeless woman in Dublin who many people got to know over the years and several hundred people gathered to pay their respects to a 47-year-old mother who died sleeping rough on Dublin city centre. Anne Delaney was a nurse and a mother of a 17-year-old daughter from Cretyard, County Leash, and she died around 9am on Sunday, close to the Tesco Express supermarket on Ainger Street. Anne, who worked in a Dublin hospital, is understood to have been homeless for at least seven years, firstly on Thomas Street before moving to Anger Street. And she regularly stayed at the spot next door to the supermarket. Lots and lots of flowers and candles have been left at the spot where she slept and where her body was discovered. And a crowd gathered this week to mark her passing. There were also beautiful and moving tributes paid to her with hundreds joining that vigil to remember her. Jackie Feeney was one of them and she said she got to know Anne when she first slept roughed on Thomas Street and she said I was here with her overnight at 11pm and we would have a chat and a coffee. Uh, A man went to buy her something in Tesco's and when he came back she was gone. And as I said Anne seemed to have touched a lot of people who encountered her regularly on the streets and I spotted this poem by Sarah Conway which I thought might be nice just to read out to remember her. It's called A Message to Anne. She sat part city, part woman. She cradled her whiskey, drew each sip like a surgeon does blood. 
The calloused face of a wind-sullen, serrated soul, her kingdom the road, she rules where she lay. She spares some bread for the birds who flock around her, a sailor's hat attached like she was to the street, what the streets must have done for such a life to incur as she watched her life, a bag of ice melt by her feet. A legacy of great, we look at the stars, money, elegant style, linens from afar, but Anne was Dublin and its history, her scars, the city concrete, the roads of tar. Her nook and escape, as she braved the hard life is rough and abrasive, tough and invasive, so too are the streets. The streets that raised her, the streets that grew her, the streets that knew her, the streets that abused her, and the streets that used her. A black cranny a memorial site, Anger Street her home, but now Anna's history and her scars are Dublin. So rest easy, Anne, where there is warmth and safety, and everything that you had taken from thee. So we remember Anne Delaney and we think of all the women and girls and boys and men who are homeless in Dublin and around the country today. Now, two referendums take place on March 8th next week, International Women's Day. The government proposes expanding the definition of family in the constitution to recognise durable relationships such as cohabiting couples and their children. I'm one of them. And to replace the language around women in the home and women's duties in the home with language recognising care within families. And neither of these proposals, it has to be said, have been without criticism. So we're going to explore it all today. Article 41.1.1 currently states the state recognises the family as the natural, primary and fundamental unit group of society. Um, What is known as the Family Amendment seeks to expand the definition of family to reflect modern reality, adding whether founded on marriage or on other durable relationships, which would recognise that families are not based on marriage alone, that there are many different types of families. An article 41.3.1 currently states the state pledges itself to guard with special care the institution of marriage on which the family is founded and to protect it against attack. So the family amendment also proposes deleting on which the family is founded, clarifying that it's not just marriage on which the family is founded. So it's happening next week on International Women's Day, as I said. Uh, Some people are a bit cynical about that. And if there is a yes, yes vote that women's duties in the home clause written in 1937 by a load of men who were for sure influenced by Archbishop John Charles McQuaid and which many women found offensive, sexist and patronising. I'll read it in full for you again now. In particular, the state recognises that by her life within the home, women give to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. The state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour Labor to the neglect of their duties in the home. Now, even when the constitution was being drafted in 1937, its treatment of women in Article 41.2 and the other provisions was the single biggest policy issue which dominated much of the debate at the time, both inside and outside the Dáil. And since the adoption of the constitution, and particularly in the last 30 years, there have been repeated calls at both national and international level to amend or remove Article 41.2. Leo Varadkar said, Said the current wording was an archaic and sexist reference which has contributed nothing good to the lives of women in this country. But that's not how everybody sees 
visit and we'll be exploring that and looking at the replacement proposed, which is the care amendment, which says the state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them give to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and shall strive to support such provision. But this um, replacement, which we'll be voting for next week, has also come under fire from organisations such as FLAC and the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. So discuss all of this and there is a lot to discuss. We have Laura Perrins, former barrister, conservative commentator and mother of four. She trained as a criminal barrister and worked outside the home until the birth of her first child when she was 29. Now she is a freelance journalist advocating for a no-no vote. Aideen Barry is a visual artist from Cork who's now based in Tipperary. She's an artist whose work encompasses a vast range of disciplines and subjects such as domestic labour, environmental fracture and human vulnerability. Her work meditates on feminism, classism, intersectionality and inequality and she's very much on the yes-yes side. And also joining us is political correspondent with the Irish Times, Jennifer Bray and she's been writing extensively on the upcoming referendums. Her pieces, if you want to look them up, include really good explainers on exactly what we're being asked to vote on. So as I said, there are two referendums taking place on March 8th, the Care Amendment and the Family Amendment. And I began by asking Jennifer Bray what exactly people are being asked to vote for in each of these referendums. There's two referendums and in a nutshell, what the government want to change is the definition of family and the role of carers. So that's why these referendums are being called the family and care referendum. So the first proposal is to extend the definition of family within the constitution. So this would involve changing Article 41.1, which currently says that the state recognises the family as the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society. That would basically change to say that the state recognises the family, whether founded on marriage or other durable relationships, as the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society. So it's adding that extra definition of durable relationships. Um, There are other references in the constitution as well to a family being founded on marriage and that will be deleted. But it is important to say that that recognition of marriage obviously is still in there, but it's in addition to the other relationships as well. And the reason why the government are recommending this particular change is because they say they want to acknowledge the fact that families can be founded on relationships other than marriage. You know, you could take the example of a family headed by a lone parent, a grandparent, a guardian, and that it would explicitly protect all these extra families, you know, because the dynamic of the way families are built in Ireland is, is changing and census figures bear that out. And the second proposed change then, um, this is kind of a controversial one, this is in relation to care and this reference in the constitution to a woman's place and duties in the home effectively. So the question the government has grappled with over the last couple of years is whether to replace this article or just delete it or add anything extra onto it. So what they want to do effectively is to remove or to delete that entire article that references a woman's life and duties within the home and then to add a recognition of care within the home and that the state shall strive to support that care within the home. So they're the two changes that are being recommended. Extension of the definition of family and removing that reference of a woman's life and mother's duties in the home uh, and replacing it with a provision that recognises care within the home. Okay. now there's been pushback in relation to both of those. So can you kind of take us through uh, what no campaigners are saying about the family amendment and what is the pushback in relation to the care amendment as well? 
Yeah, so, I mean, initially there was kind of a, a lukewarm reception from NGOs, uh, from opposition parties, but we know now government parties are obviously campaigning in favour of a yes-yes vote. Um, most of the main opposition parties have come in, in behind a yes-yes vote, apart from Aintu, and obviously independents will have their own view on the no side. In the beginning, I think the no side was a little bit slow to kind of take off, if you want, or maybe to get organised. But we have seen in the last two weeks, especially those uh, arguments in the no side really crystallising. So one of the issues that has emerged in the last week is in relation to the rights of disabled people. So we know that disabled rights campaigners are very annoyed at this uh, care amendment. So this is the the one I talked about where you delete the reference to a woman's place and mother's duties in the home and replace it with the recognition of care within the home. What they're saying, this is a group, a newly formed group, especially for the referendum, they're called Equality Not Care. They're basically saying that a lot of disabled people want to live their life inside their home and be independent with personal assistance um, and have that option. And they feel that if a yes vote wins, that it enshrines in the constitution that their family is responsible for their life effectively. That's their view on that. And they have a number of members who came out in, in support of that notion. And then we have FLAC, the Free Legal Advice Commission, um, really respected body. They came out quite late uh, and they also raised similar concerns about the care amendment, which we're speaking about now, um, and talked about the, the issue with carers and uh, disabled people especially. So they're kind of two big groups, if you want, that have set out a no stance, uh, particularly in the last two weeks. Mm. Does it seem a bit like the government would have been better off just deleting the women in the home and the duties thing and not adding anything else that would have been a bit more straightforward? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are saying this now. Yeah, why didn't they just delete it? And um, I suppose... You know, I could give my own personal view, but that's not why you asked me to come on. And I won't do that because I'll get myself in trouble. But um, if you actually, if we look factually here, there have been at least 15 major reports into this controversial clause in the Constitution about women's place and mother's duties and all that. Pretty much all of them, pretty much all of them have recommended that the article be altered, some of them recommend altered, amended, deleted, but all of them said that there should be a recognition of care. And this goes all the way back to 1992 to the Status of Women Commission report. So I think in many ways this government has been hamstrung by the fact that every report that's come before has recommended this. So if they had chosen to ignore that, they would have been accused of ignoring the role of carers. The problem is that they in their proposals, only want to recognise in the constitution care within the home and campaigners say they should have recognised care within the community and that that would be a far more meaningful thing to do. Okay, and let's talk about the pushback to the family amendment then because that's caused a lot of uh, controversy, this idea about durable relationships, how to define that and maybe that perhaps causing legal problems in the future. Yeah, and you know, Michael McDool, as columnist in our paper, former Minister for Justice, uh, current senator, he was the first kind of to come out with advocating very strongly for a no vote. Um, And he basically said, in a nutshell, and I'm I'm sure he'll forgive me for paraphrasing him, I hope he does, um, but he brought up this issue of uh, durable relationships effectively. And this is the plan to extend the definition of family and include other relationships that are considered durable. Uh, He was kind of raising issues of exactly what a durable relationship is, like who defines it and what is the legal definition there. And that's how, I think that led into the early part of the campaign being dominated by talk about throuples, you know, relationships of three and polygamy and stuff. Um, And what the government have said since then is that 
the durable relationships category is not supposed to recognise throuples or um, <laughs> indeed polygamy and that polygamy is actually not recognised in Ireland legally anyway. Yeah. Um, but the, the no side have a point because the government have kind of said this could be tested in court of law or that will be decided in the courts. And I think asking people to make a change on the basis of something they're not fully aware of that has emerged as an issue, basically, in the campaign. Okay. Now, who is in the yes camp? Can you get a list? You said most of the government parties and most of the opposition, apart from AIM2, but in terms of other organisations, we have the National Women's Council. Exactly, yeah. So like you said, we have all the, the government parties, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, the Green Party. Um, you have the opposition. A lot. Of, some of the opposition are very grudging, kind of, yes, uh, you know, people for profit. Even in the Dáil yesterday, they were saying... Yes, we're, we're reluctantly supporting this because they do feel it doesn't go far enough. And the same for the Social Democrats. And a lot of those opposition parties tried to, they tried to amend the proposals in the Dáil and they weren't successful. And in the end, and even Sinn Féin kind of rode in behind it. And interestingly, Sinn Féin said that if they were in government, if this referendum doesn't pass and they were in government, they would rerun it. So that is interesting because one of the arguments on the yes side has been if there is a no vote to both of these. It'll go to all the way to the back of the queue and never, ever be seen again. So that's interesting that Sinn Féin said that, but although perhaps they were put on the spot a little bit. But just to your question on the yes side, like you said, we've got the National Women's Council. They formally launched a yes, yes referendum campaign. A very big one for the government, support for them, a boost for them was Family Carers Ireland. They represent, I think, hundreds of thousands of carers. And they said it would be a powerful step towards real change in how we recognise and value and care for our most vulnerable. And then we also have One Family, which is Ireland's national organisation for one-parent families, also called for a yes vote on both referendums. They're big organisations on one-parent families, carers, uh, and obviously the National Women's Organisation comprises so many different groups. Um, so they're the big ones really on the yes side. Okay, and what about the no camp? Where are we talking? Obviously, Michael McDould has been out very early, um, but quite a few other groups. I mean, the bishops came out there, I think, a few days ago. It's not surprisingly. Not surprisingly, yeah, the bishops came out. So like you said, I don't think anyone's particularly surprised by that. I mentioned this group earlier on, Equality Not Care, which was set up specifically to campaign for a no vote. Um, And then we also have, like I said, the Free Legal Advice Centre FLAC, who came out kind of with, with strong concerns about it. And there were other smaller groups, women's rights groups dotted around the country, which are locally in their own areas advocating for a no vote there I think sometimes that what I've picked up from talking to people in those different groups and, and some of them are quite small is that they feel taking this reference out of the constitution that perhaps it doesn't do women any favours and that maybe we should be striving to protect that kind of element of um, of mothers' lives or women's lives or whatever you want to call it. Mm. And uh, also I think the Irish Council of Civil Liberties as well maybe in the no camp in terms That's- of the, the care amendment as well. That's right. They've also voiced concerns as well in the care amendment. So actually, you know, I think in the beginning, a lot of the commentary was that does the no side even properly really exist? Uh, it does properly really exist. Um, and they have genuine concerns mm. um, and stuff that I think in fairness in the last couple of days, as we come up to the last couple of days before the referendum, the government would do very well to come out and address a lot of those points. And we haven't really seen that 
fully yet. Mm. So I, I wonder, are they keeping something in reserve for the last week? Yeah, because I think it's important to talk about the confusion among the public. We in the Irish Times did a survey and I found reading the responses, a lot of people were very confused about some of the issues. So are the government worried about low turnout? Are they worried about people not voting because or voting no because they don't fully understand all the implications? Yeah, I think so. Uh, there's there's a, there's a couple of different concerns in the government. The, the first, well, it would, I'm not ranking them in exact order, but the first one that came through to me that I was told by ministers was that they were worried that there's a lot of pent-up anger amongst public. It's been a long time since people had the opportunity to go to the polls. And could this be the opportunity for people to give the government a kicking, notwithstanding whatever the questions being asked in the referendum? That's a concern. The biggest concern is apathy and that people don't turn out, that they don't know enough about it. It's become too complicated, that both sides seem to both have really good points. So I don't know. So that's that don't know, vote no thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that ties into the the low turnout. And like the, the, if you look at the history of referendums in Ireland, it's such a mixed bag. It, just because you have a low turnout doesn't necessarily mean that the no side will win, but it does give them a better advantage because if people are motivated to vote no, will they have more of an impetus to get out to the polling booth in their local school or whatever? Mm. So if you look at, let's say, 2012, if we're looking at referendum turnout, that was a children's rights referendum. And I said it on a different podcast here before that you would think that a referendum about enshrining children's rights is kind of, you know, who doesn't want children's rights in Mm. the world? But there was a really low turnout at that. Um, I think turnout was just 33.5%. Now, it did pass, but It really, that campaign completely failed to capture the public imagination. Mm. And I would wonder if the same thing is happening here. However, like we have seen, we've done a poll, there's been other polls in other newspapers, and it does show the yes side having, I wouldn't say a significant lead, but a healthy lead. However, there's a lot of people in those polls who say they don't know what the proposals are. Um, And the people who are better informed uh, on the exact terms seem to be more likely to vote no. Um, on certain questions. So it's not a slam dunk by any means. Well, thank you very much for that great appraisal. We will be talking to Aideen Barry, who's very passionately yes, yes. And we're also talking to Laura and we'll come to you now, Laura, because I suppose this is a real question for the women's podcast, because over the years we have been firmly against kind of Article 42, the women in the home, the duties, all that kind of lark. But you are very much firmly in the no camp, Laura, and you have good reasons for that. So tell us what your main issues are with the amendment, because a lot of it comes back to your own personal circumstances as well. Yeah, well, that's some of it, but not all of it, obviously. No. I mean, it, it's a very, it's it's really very simple. And I, actually, I think the bishops put it well in their statement in that they asked, what benefit would it be to Irish society to delete the terms woman and mother from the constitution? And clearly there's no benefit. Like, as I tweeted yesterday, sarcastically, you know, after I vote yes to, to erase myself from the constitution, I'm then going to start my campaign to abolish Mother's Day. And when I'm finished with that, give all my child benefit back. I just don't know why, genuinely, I do not know why anybody would, uh, any woman, and in particular mother, would vote themselves out of the constitution. Well, I, mean, I, if you, I suppose if I you can ask, answer that a little bit, like from this woman's perspective. Like a lot of people find it sexist, patronising, offensive. They feel like women shouldn't be in the constitution in terms of their role in the home, their duties, so-called. And they find that something that they really, really want to get rid of so that there can be more equality. I think that's pretty simply what, what people are feeling. It's not that people want to erase themselves from the constitution. They don't want them framed in that way, I think. 
Well, this isn't the only reference. Obviously, there's references to women in terms of uh, equality, in terms of citizens. Uh, thankfully, we're keeping that for now. Yeah. But there's, there's nothing sexist in the word woman. And there's nothing sexist in the recognition that the work that she does in the home serves the common good. And that's, that's what the, if you actually look at what the article says, and not what people say that it might say, this sort of invented article, it says, in particular, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. That, that's all it says. It says, whatever work you do in the home, it's important and it's not just a private good. It mm. serves the common good. Yeah. Now, of course, the roles that women have had have changed enormously in the last, you know, what, even 50 or 60 years, you know, and, and obviously many of them work outside the home. But the importance of the work done inside that home has not diminished. In, in fact, if anything, I think it's gotten, it's gotten more important. I mean, and then it goes on, and I think this is what people, you know, really seem to be angry about. The state shall therefore endeavour, so this, that's a burden put on the state, to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. And people seem to be getting very angry about the idea that women have duties in the home. Women have duties in the home. Men have duties in the home. That's what being an adult is. You have duties to your child, even if you don't have children. A lot of, a lot of women will help with elderly care. They might take a particular interest in a niece or a nephew. If they just have their own partner, they are obviously got duties to their partner. So I, don't, I think it's really dangerous for people to be going around and stigmatising the idea of, of a duty. Everybody has a duty. As I said, that's what being an adult is. This idea, oh, a, w- a woman, she can be wherever she wants to be. No, toddlers do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. If a toddler wants to go and stick their knife in their uh, the socket, they can do that because they're toddlers. The mother, or indeed a father, the mother has a duty yeah. to stop that person from doing but so. But Laura... So, as you're... I said, I, I just, it, it's so frustrating because I'm slightly bemused, as, as I said. I, I don't know why anybody would... I, if, if this was a man... You would not get a whole load of men lining up going, oh, we're definitely going to vote ourselves out of the Constitution. But, I mean, well, please, please open the door so I can do that. Like, but Laura, I think, I think what you just said there is kind of, you, you've hit the nail on the head. If it said women and men's duties in the home, if it alluded to the yeah. fact that men also have duties, that fathers also have duties, then I don't think we'd be even having this conversation. It's the fact that it's framed as if these are women's issues and women's jobs. Now, you in an article did say, you did quote some CSO um, data, which says that 42% of women it's 2021, 42% of women believe household chores fall to them compared to just 6% of of men. Women who work full-time reported that they manage the children's homework, for example, to a greater degree to the father, uh, 41% versus 20%. So the reality is the burden is falling still all these years later after the constitution was written in 1937 to women. But I suppose, is there not a sense that um, the constitution should be a sort of an aspirational document where we acknowledge that that's not necessarily what we want? We don't want women to be framed as that's what their duties are and their duties are in the home and this is where they they are placed um, and that we can kind of make it more equal. And by removing that, we can say that men and women have duties in the home and that these are things that, you know, uh, are acknowledged not just in terms of the female. Okay, so there's probably two things there. The first is the idea, should it be aspirational or should it recognise reality and and perhaps reflect our values? So I don't think the constitution should be used as a tool for social engineering. 
which is essentially what this government is doing. It wants everything to be equal. It wants everything to be 50-50. I'm not on board with that. Okay, that's number one. I don't think it should be used as a, as a form of therapy or a form of social engineering, etc. Number two, I can't say it any, any more times, people have, <laughs> women have duties, mothers have duties, and that should be recognised in the Constitution. But are you Number con- three, but, Laura, so, where, so where do the men come into this? Yeah. Okay, fine. So I have said, if you wanted to add a, 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 an amendment that said, uh, we also recognise that, that there are other carers, right, in other situations, and there genuinely are, and I know there's a split in the caring community, and I'm not pretending to talk to them because I don't... And, but I think it's wrong for the government to use people who are care- parents and who are caring for very vulnerable people saying this is going to improve their life by passing this amendment when a lot of them say it isn't. OK, so the choice was you could have added another amendment. OK, but that's not what's before us. What's before us is to delete the only reference to mother in the Constitution and to delete the reference to duties on the home. I don't think any woman should support that. I certainly don't think any mother should support that. They should vote no and tell the government, you can go back and you can give us something better, but I'm not going to vote myself out of the constitution because uh, why, why would I do that? Okay. Well, look, according to one article you wrote as well, I think for the Daily Mail, you believe that women inherently, is what you said, lean more towards being homemakers and caregivers than men. Um, and is that not really because that's the role that women have been groomed for over the centuries? Or do you believe that actually that's more instinctively what women um, should do and are, are geared, are wired to do? I think it's more instinctive. I mean, obviously there are exceptions and and we live in a society now where if you want to work full time and the 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 man takes on the you know the husband takes on that more caring role, there's absolutely nothing to stop that situation. But I do think women are inherently caregivers and if they not, I I think the important point is they they sort of they manage the household okay so even if they say have a full-time job so they employ usually other women to do the jobs that they would do such as cleaners or nannies or you know nurseries and all that overall they most i would say 90 percent of women manage the household and i think that's because they want to put it this way i reckon most women in ireland know when the uh, the vouchers for the shopping runs out so i gotta get there on wednesday and not thursday otherwise i'm gonna lose my 20 quid so you know i've said that life outside the home for women has has changed enormously of course life with inside the home and what those duties are have changed enormously but if you look at the wording of the constitution you have to ask yourself is the wording honestly flexible enough to take into account the changes both to women's lives outside the home and inside the home. Is it worth retaining? Or is there something, you know, it's just beyond redemption? Obviously, some people think it's beyond redemption. I certainly don't. I mean, you've given me a lot of... So even if we talk about how... how, um, And then I will finish because other people need to come in. Even if we look at what those duties are inside the home. Obviously, what I'm doing now is completely different to what my grandmother was doing. Okay, I have all the machines to help me, blah, blah, blah. De Valera wasn't thinking, right, well, I mean, they're going to have the tumble dryer to help them. So, I mean, you know, why why, why are we even putting this in here? But I tell you uh, what I do feel is a really big duty on, on mothers, mostly, is, you know, this, this social media, the phones. I literally stalk the house and lock up my kids' mobile phones that have very little, uh, they, they, they use them very little. And you can't open an article, right, today without somebody telling you how dangerous it is for the children to be on social media. And I, I'm, I'm not being flippant, and I know it's an extreme case, but in terms of social 
I mean, literally self-harm, and uh, even things even more serious than that, a terrible case in England about a, a, some, a, a child being killed. So, so again, I look at that article, I go, well, duties in the home. Yeah, well, controlling my, my teen's screen habits is completely, it's flexible enough to encompass that. So clearly that's not what was envisaged when the constitution was being written. No, but surely so your, I think your partner you're... could be doing that equally. Like it's not a mother's duty to do that, is it? Uh, he could be, but uh, I do it. And I think, as I said, you know, I think most mothers, most mothers do it. And I, I, and I can tell you, it's very uh, time consuming. And as, as all mothers know, it's the headspace. It's not just the physical work, right? It's all, it's knowing, right, I have to, this, this person has to go there and, 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 and I have to do this, I have to do the food, and I have to do this. And look, it's fine. I, I don't want to complain about my lot. And my, my husband is incredibly, incredibly supportive. But I think to sum up in terms of, yeah, that the, really the overall management of the house, mm. I it's think not very, ultimately, it's not very equal. always falls to it's the It's not women. very equal in your house, basically, is what you're saying. No, I think it, it, it's, it's not about that. I, 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 like, I like doing it because I think, I think it's a, a vocation, because I think it's noble. And it's not, you know, when, when you look at juices in the home, I think pe- some people don't like it because they think of the domestic, the really domestic drudgery, you know, the cleaning and the... The, the, the laundry and all that stuff. I don't particularly like doing any of that, but you can do it with a podcast now, so it's not too bad. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's the other stuff. It's, it's the educating of the children. It's the, it's the raising them to be, you know, civilised individuals. Um, it's, it's constantly overseeing, overseeing that. Who are they friends with? That, as I said, that's all I can say. It's, it's the raising, really, of the next generation, I believe, is probably what was in the forefront of the mind mm. when this article was being written and I think it's just as important now as it ever as it has been and I certainly think women take on the vast majority of that work. I want to to bring Aideen in here now Laura but I I just before we go because you did mention the bishops how much is your sort of stance your no-no stance uh, influenced by Catholicism or your religion? Um, I mean it's very it's very influenced and I'm glad the bishops the bishops have come out and they've made um, they've made a good they've made a strong statement and as I said I think um, you know, the, the question you have to ask yourself, what, what benefit would it be to, uh, to our society to delete, to delete the words mother and woman? Well, very little. And I think they also said the role of mothers should continue to be cherished in, in our constitution. And, you know, I agree with that. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.
Aideen, you, on the other hand, have described Article 42, the women's duties in the home and, and all the things we've been discussing as the bane of your life. Tell us why. Well, I guess I was a single parent uh, when I first uh, had my first child in 2000 and uh, realised very quickly that the my choices were limited. I was not allowed to return to education. My uh, situation was I was on one parent family payment and uh, at any given point, a social worker could call into your house and inspect your house to make sure that you were uh, not lying and that you had only two toothbrushes, not three, and that you were fulfilling your obligation as administered by the state that your place was in the home and you should not have any aspirations for improving yourself or uh, teaching your child uh, critical faculties about the idea that women have dreams and they have aspirations for independence and happiness. So uh, it has affected me and been the bane in my life. I am actually the mother of three children now and I would like my children to see that a woman's place is in the revolution and not in the home and that it's important that our children see us as critical thinking individuals who have the rights to go out and be whatever they want to be. Well, Laura is saying that, you know, in fact, the Constitution doesn't say that a woman's place or role is only in the home, but it acknowledges the unpaid work of women and the contribution uh, that they make to society. What's wrong with that? Well, does it really? Do women actually get paid for what they do? Like we just lived through this great pandemic where all of our rights were rolled back and we were in, enshrined in the home again during these I think Ireland had the longest or largest rolling lockdowns of uh, the 2020-2021 the pandemic. And suddenly women were back in the home trying to do it all online teaching or working from home, homeschooling, uh, you know, picking up the emotional, invisible labour of all of that. And those decisions were primarily made by men without the consultation of women. So uh, because of this article, it's very easy to roll back those rights uh, and put us back in our place. And uh, and we weren't thanked for it. Were we remunerated? I don't think so. I don't ever remember the Tisha coming out and saying thank you to the women of Ireland for returning to the home. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't think this is uh, I think this, this is kind of unconscious bias because of the framing of our constitution that these things can happen very quickly and we take it for granted. I think. Uh, Justine McCarthy said in our paper um, that she's been a lot of mansplaining around the issue. Um, obviously, we're all women here talking about it, but I think she, I'm not saying she was talking about Michael McDougall, but she might have because he said that Article 41 in no way diminishes any choice for mothers, but casts an obligation on the state to amplify their free choices. Mothers and other women working outside the home are in no way prejudiced by the present article. It does not confine choices, women's choices in any way, even so psychologically. Do you think as a man, he's well placed to know what it feels like for women? No. <laughs> and do the bishops of Ireland know what it's like to be a woman? Seriously? You know, it's a joke. It's a joke. They have no place in this discussion. This discussion is about, you know, the rollback of our rights and how easily that can happen and how it is something that has affected like women for generations since the enshrining of the state. I mean, I don't know like whether de Valera was being a bit uh, insidious with with this enshrining in the constitution. But look at our grandmothers and our mothers. They weren't able to access pensions because of this article. You know, think about like the choices that uh, we can make now. Why is there a gender pay gap, for example, 
You know, these things are all rooted in in something like this. So this decision shouldn't be. It's interesting that you mentioned that because Justine McCarthy also said that she was baffled to note how many women had written to our letters page who wanted to retain Article 41.2. And uh, they're saying that the Constitution... Um, protection for their lives in the home and and are arguing that they have enjoyed careers outside the home without encountering any impediment. But Justine also asked, how do they know what yardstick is used to measure the seminal influence the constitutional provision has had on the gender pay gap, female representation in public life, on company boards and on corporate promotions? To those women who wish to keep the article, the obvious question is this, what good does it do to women with no homes? What good did it do for Bridget McColl, Anne Lovett, Eileen Flynn, Joanne Hayes, Christine Buckley, Vicky Phelan, Philomena Lee. What good did it do for the mothers who were locked up in Magdalene laundries and mother and baby homes and had their children stolen from them for export or used without their knowledge or consent in vaccine trials? So this idea that the Article 41.2, you know, hasn't had any impact on anyone. You disagree with that, I presume? Absolutely. I mean, like, I mean, the quality of women's lives in this country has been miserable, is miserable because we are not striving hard enough for equality. Like feminism hasn't happened yet. It's used and banded about by anti-LGBT and the far right as this kind of uh, like a rhetoric that um, reduces women to others. And situations like this, like this is a, a healthy discourse that we're having here. These referendum are progress. We're having this discourse to say, what kind of Ireland do we want? What kind of Ireland do we want for our daughters and our sisters and our mothers? What kind of Ireland do we want where we see that they are cherished by the state equally? That is also said in the Constitution. And why can't we not see that the Constitution is a thing that is plastic, that is critically engaged with regularly to talk about how do we enshrine and, and drive progress? That's what we should be uh, striving for. Laura, I want to come back to you. Is there anything that you have to say about to Aideen? Because obviously, clearly, you're on very different sides of this argument. But it's interesting to see the kind of cut and thrust. Oh well, I mean, she did touch the, on the on the lockdown and things like that. And and she, you know, she's absolutely right in terms of the fact that it was mothers and women who picked up the slack and, as you said, had to essentially do the Zoom calls while looking after the children. Uh, and that's exactly why we have in the Constitution that the state recognises that work, um, that she gives the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. That's exactly what the amendment does. And I mean, yeah, thanks would have been nice from, from the Taoiseach, but um, you also have something permanent in the Constitution that it essentially says thanks and all that unrecognised work um, is furthers the furthers the common good. So this is why I don't understand why why any woman or mother would want to to delete it. As I said, um, I mean in terms of what Justine McCarthy said, you know, it didn't it didn't help all the various wrongs that have been committed. I mean, it's very easy to blame all of the wrongs that have ever happened in the past at this one particular article. I mean, it's a simple article that recognises the unpaid work that women do. It's not a magical article. It can't, like, undo human wrongdoing. Um, but I do think we should be very careful before voting ourselves out of the Constitution, reducing our status in the Constitution. If people want to have greater equality, as I said, they could have added something, but, this is, but they decided not to do that. They decided to um, essentially remove the only reference to mothers in the Constitution, which, which is a mistake. 
Aideen, what do you say to that, that it's getting rid of the of women, that it's erasing the only uh, mention of mothers in the Constitution? Does that bother you? I think it bothers me that men aren't mentioned. I think it bothers me. I mean, Laura brought about like, a, you know, is it how are we reflecting our values? How like because we're not doing a service to men in that caring capacity either. You know, like where where are all, you know, where are we kind of considering actually the role of us as humans? Let's let's talk outside of like these gendered kind of terms. Where are we not talking about like the role of humans as carers? And then we equip our menfolk with the tools for them to be vulnerable and to be able to say, you have a right to be in the home too. You know, you have a right to be a carer or be a lone parent. We see you, we recognize you and we support you in that. So that's what we're talking about here is like, how do we actually uh, campaign for a more egalitarian society that's recognizing a social fabric, the role of society to bring up our children together. Laura, do you have something to come back on that? Well, the feminists kind of seem to like to have it both ways. You know, on the one hand, the work that mothers do at home is unrecognized. It's a huge burden. It isn't fair. Um, we should be we should be doing more to 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 you know essentially push women. But I'm also really worried about the men now. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not sure how worried they really are about the men. Um, I'm really worried about the men. I I, I oh, right. have to say, yeah. Are you not? What what's to worry about? What, but the the fact them? that men have been kind of um, socialised to feel like they have to be strong all the time, that they have to be the ones, you know, doing things like taking out the bins rather than caring for their elderly mother or, I you de- know, that kind of thing. I definitely think men should take out the bins. This is not, I, I'm not going to the barricades to fight over taking out the bins. And lots of men also look after their their mothers. Yeah, but but I do you, we we I think we can all um, agree that. In fact, I, I I get my son to take out the bins to make sure that he will take out the bins for his wife when he's older. Okay, and yeah, is there? Are, have you got daughters? Two girls and two boys. Yeah. So do you do you sort of socialise them differently as if they've got different roles? Um, sometimes, yeah. I definitely try and get my son to do the outdoor work. As I said, the slightly heavier work. Um, although they. There, but we did quite a lot of cooking over the Christmas, so I enjoyed that. And they both, um, you know, my son actually enjoyed the baking as well. Don't, so I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to do that um, going forward. I get him to do home economics for uh, secondary school, actually, because it's a more hands-on subject. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, if possible, if there's putting up furniture and all of that, that kind of thing, I would try and get him to do it more. Um, do you not think both, girls or women are as good at putting up furniture together than men? Uh, I mean, they can be if if that's what they want. My my eight year, my nine nine year old daughter, you'd like to. She's my she's my little feminist. She likes to kind of get in there a little bit more with the work, and that's fine. I wouldn't tell her not to. Um, and they, but there's a gap. I have a two year old, and they they all um, look after him. Uh, sort of, you know, when 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 I want them to. Well, you know, obviously I'm not not haven't left the house, but yeah, my eight year old daughter will put sometimes will uh, put my my the two year old down from, you know, out of the bath, read him stories, put him to bed. I think it's I think it's really really nice. Um, let's talk about durable relationships because we haven't touched on it really so far. Um, I have to say, after full disclosure, I'm in a durable relationship of 23 years with two teenagers. And personally, I feel like that being in the Constitution is going to recognise and validate my relationship in a way that hasn't before. Not everyone wants to get married and that's a, a valid choice. Um, so, Aideen, what do you feel about that uh, The widening of it, not just about marriage? 
I think it's really important that we move beyond this like heteronormative nuclear family model of, you know, that you have to be married. I think it's ridiculous in the 21st century. I mean, you go to school and uh, our children's friends are from families from all different backgrounds and all different kind of nuclei. So it's important that we see that it takes a village to rear a child and it is not just these man and woman as this um uh, married couple situation. That's the, the that's what was the past. The future is something a lot more communal and a lot more egalitarian again. So it's good that the the constitution moves to recognise that it could have gone a lot further. It should have done. I can see the flaws in the aspirations for the wording of this um, referendum. But um, we have to, as I said before, see this as a progress and drive it forward. Mm. Uh, Laura, I'm assuming you disagree. Uh, yes, yeah, I disagree. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's two main points. First of all is that um, it's simply not true what is, what, is being, what is being proposed. So it says uh, the state recognises the family, whether founded on marriage or other durable relationships, as the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society. Well, we've already done the issue that it's it's unclear. Okay, so we don't know what durable relationships are. We can sort of assume certain relationships will fall into that category and certain and, and, and others won't. But f- ultimately, be for the court to decide. So it's unclear and it's undemocratic because you don't know what you're voting for. It's also not true to say that the family would be based on other durable relationships. If you can't name it then it's it, it, it simply, it simply not true that they are a primary and fundamental uh, unit group of society. So that's kind of the first point. And the second point is marriage remain, remains the gold standard to raise children. Um, all the research says that. The Marriage Foundation in the UK have found that. The Institute of Family Studies in the US have said that. So we should be promoting marriage. I understand there's been a huge, again, social shift um, a lot more cohabiting couples, a lot more uh, raising children, etc. But again, the question is, do you reflect that or do you say, actually, we should promote something? I think we should be promoting marriage. And when, I, when we say marriage, it doesn't have to be the religious thing, right? It, it doesn't have to be the white dress and all that. I can understand why people have problems with that. You can go to, I assume, you can go to a registry office and enter into a civil marriage doesn't have to take much time or energy. But, and then everybody's clear where they stand. The state knows where, that, you, that you're married. You know that you're married. Everybody else knows that you're married. Um, so I, I, I think people, especially people who are raising children, should, should be getting married. Um, it, it clarifies things. And uh, as I said, you can, you can do it. You know, so, you don't have to have all the religious connotations if, that, if you don't want so to have that. So what do you think of my situation then where I just don't want to get married and I don't want the state necessarily involved in my relationship? And for 23 years, we've raised our two daughters. They're 14. They're pretty OK. They're not they're not suffering because we're not we didn't sign a piece of paper. Is there a, is there a problem with including durable relationships like mine? Yes, I've just said that we should be encouraging marriage as a policy and looking at the research, it remains the gold standard. Of course, there are lots of situations you can point to, including yours, where um, the, the children have been raised very well. And I'm, obviously, I'm not going to go behind... You can't make any assertions I'm not, not going to go behind that statement, I'm sure that. <laughs> OK, but this, this issue about a piece of paper, you know, wills are pieces of paper. 
employment contracts are pieces of paper. There's a big difference between a, a journalist who's employed by the Irish Times and you have an employment contract and a freelance journalist. And the difference really is clarity. You know what's going to happen when something breaks up. And I mean, you, I, I guess, so, so that's the first issue. And the second issue is I don't want the state involved. Okay, but this, this is the issue. People who think they're in durable relationships are not going to be in any clearer a situation after the referendum than they are before. They're going to assume that they're in durable relationships. But ultimately, it's a court that will have to decide that by you going in and getting a declaration, which will be a lot more invasive than, say, yourself and your partner going to the registry office and registering your marriage on your, on your own terms, um, than having to go to court and present, I think the head of the referendum commission has said, you know, we look at Christmas cards that were sent to you and wedding invites sent to you and all the rest of it. That sounds a lot more invasive and time consuming to me than just going to the registry office. Mm. As I said, to me, this is a lawyer's bonanza. If I was a family lawyer now, I would be cock a hoop at the mm. idea of this thing going through. Because uh, so, so, so that's it. That's one point. So this, that deals with those who essentially we know are in endurable relationships. You're a kind of situation. But I think there's also a danger of people ending up in durable relationships that never signed up to this. Okay, there's a split. One person thinks they're in a durable relationship. The other person says no. And then that's going to be a whole that that's going to be litigated as well. So um, there's clearly a lack of clarity. But I've no problem in saying marriage is the gold standard. This does undermine marriage. It's not true that durable relationships that we can't even define are, are fundamentally in as a society. And I can finish on this. To me, if you wanted to, um, this might be lost on a lot of listeners and even yourself. I tweeted as well. Do you know the film, Jerry Maguire? Yeah. Right. Show me Great the money. Film. Show me the money. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Stronger than Oak. Do you remember when Jerry signs Cushman, right? And what does the father say? I don't do contracts, Jerry, but you do have my word. And it's stronger than Oak. What happens? He loses Cushman the night before the draft. And what does Cushman's do with, with, with the alternative agent sugar? They sign a contract. Mm. Huge surprise because pieces of paper matter. So, you know, that's, that's it's, a, it, again, it's probably a, a task in social engineering. Um, it shouldn't be in the constitution for the lack of clarity uh, alone. And people should get married in, in a registry office if, if uh, you don't fancy the, the big day. Okay, I'm going to bring Aideen back in a second, but I just, we haven't mentioned the fact that you are, you trained as a barrister and then you ultimately left that career to look after your children. You you made that decision because you felt that sense of duty towards your children you've written about and the desire to care for them outweighed your wish to pursue a demanding career at the bar. Would that not have been something that maybe your husband could have given up his work instead of you? Of course, that that, of course, but I mean, not getting too personal of course his his income outweighed mine um so there's a number of factors that go into that right in terms of um income and time and and who 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 really wants to do it as i said i always feel bad in these conversations because he's he's incredibly hands-on um he's not some sort of stoic husband at all he's incredibly hands-on um, he, he's a lawyer as well. So they're two demanding jobs. So that's the question, you know, is can you really keep those two very, very demanding jobs on while, while the children are young? 
Um, you know, we want to have a bigger family. I think you can do it if it's one or two and, and lots of people do it. I think also I just I just didn't want the stress. You know, I, I don't know what other people are like, but, you know, the idea that you're it's a, it was a criminal defense case. And I'm like, I'm not going to people's liberty on the line. I, I just I can't level, deal with that level of stress while raising young children. I didn't want the children in very long hours of, of nursery care. So yeah. I know people do it, but. I, I think a lot of people do would rather not do, as I said, I, I don't like these long hours. You know, you're dropping them at eight, you're picking up at six. They're only one. Uh, I don't I don't think that's that's great. And, and going back to you, Aideen, just to maybe sum up your passionate yes, yes um, aspirations. And obviously in a very different situation to Laura, because single mother, you've had that experience as you outlined at the beginning. What would you say to people who are going to the polls on uh, it's it's the 8th of March, International Women's Day? But say you can't stop progress. You have to drive progress on. A woman's place is in the revolution, not in the home, as I've said. I also think to think about, right, what was the gold standard in Ireland? How did that help women in the past? Let's talk about the mother and baby homes. Let's talk about if you were an unmarried mother, what happened to you? Let's talk about what happened to your child, like four, 48 months before my son, my eldest son was born. They closed the last Magdalene laundry. So if I had got pregnant with him for 48 months before, what would have happened to me because I didn't fulfill into that gold standard of what uh, a family should be in the state? So I want you to think about those things. I want you to speak to your mothers about how this constitution affected them and their rights and how it affected their ability to have happiness. If you've ever been sandwiched in life between caring for your children or caring for your elderly parents or a dependent, why is that? What happens to women with this constitutional enshrinement that says your, your place is in the home? What happens to us? Really think hard and fight for your right to be happy and to be a whole human being and for a healthier, progressive Irish society. Mm. And what will you personally feel if um, after March 8th that, that duties in the home, a woman's place in the home is gone from the constitution? That there's a lot more change to come and a lot more work to be done. Okay, well, I'm going to ask all of you, come back to you, Jen, because you've had to be very quiet and on the fence, as is your role as um, political reporter at the Irish Times. Um, what do you think is going to happen on March 8th? Uh, what do you think will be the turnout and how do you think the what do you think the outcome will be? I think turnout probably will be low to medium. Um, I know that there was a around 37,000 people registered to be added to the new rolling register, voting register in the 48 hours leading up to the deadline for um, voting in the referendum, which I think is a positive sign for the government if they want kind of better turnout. Um, and I think that both uh, proposals will pass. If I could, Roisin, if you don't mind, just on a lot of the points that have been made, I think as well, it will be useful to know factually um, perhaps a lot of people talk about the the women, the, the clause about women in the home and what it means. Is it symbolic? What does it represent? Like, you know, the first part of it uh, states that uh, in particular, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. And actually, it's important, I think, in this debate to look at the origin of that um, and the Ireland of the time, you know, Catholic thinking was a major influence on that provision. Um, Ireland was a deeply conservative society at the time, kind of very Catholic and sometimes very patriarchal. 
views um, consigned on, on, on mother's role within the home. Um, and we know that a, a family friend of de Valera, Archbishop John uh, Charles McQuaid, worked on the constitution and presumably at, at de Valera's invitation, was very uh, much involved in the drafting of this particular clause, the line that I read out. And in fact, he became quite exercised by some of the criticism of it at the time. And in notes, historians have, have, have kind of dug up notes between him and de Valera. And uh, I, I quote one of them in defence of the article, McQuaid said that nothing will change the law and the fact of nature that women's natural sphere is in the home. And I think it is important to remember that that's the context in which that article was drafted. And I think that's why the government are putting this proposition to the people. They view it as outdated and that things have, you know, we, we like to think we've come a long way. We have a lot lot further to go. And then just secondly, um, the second part, there was a, a really great conversation here about what this article has actually done for women. Um, so the second part of the article says, the state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. There was a case in 1989 which could have been landmark for this for this article and for women. Um, I'll, in a nutshell, uh, it basically was in relation to a judicial separation. There was a woman who, it, under the laws of trust at the time, you would have you could have a stake in the house if you financially contributed. A case was taken basically that this woman, as part of this article, um, the state should strive to support the work that she did within the home and recognise that almost as a financial contribution in and of itself. And that case, it had many twists and turns, but eventually it, it went nowhere, it did not succeed. And that was a real test, I think, of it in law, does this article actually convey protection to women in the home? Does it actually give them benefits? Has the state actually supported women's place within the home? Has this article succeeded? Has it done anything? And legal history uh, would, would indicate no. Thank you very much for those um, additions. That's it's very interesting, particularly about um, the Archbishop and his, his uh, involvement in the drafting of the Constitution. Laura, what do you think is going to happen on March 8th? Um, well, maybe what you hope will happen and what you think will happen. Well, I just think it is it is a nice tactical right to bring out all the bogeymen there, both <laughs> De Valera and uh, McQuaid. I'm glad I'm glad you got those in. Yeah. Well, what I would say is, you know, don't don't let the dead men don't don't er, to women and mothers do not vote yourself out of the constitution to stick it in the eye of the dead guys because <laughs> because they don't care. Okay. Oh, I can understand tactically why you bring it up, but they don't care. Look at the words. It doesn't say a woman's place in the home. It just simply says the work that she does in the home, the duties that she does in the home are important. OK, yes, it hasn't been particularly helpful. In fact, the, st the state has done very little to help uh, mothers who do want to spend more time with their children to to actually do that. Um, and, and, but that's the fault of the state. So don't make your situation even worse by, as I said, essentially erasing yourself from the Constitution. Um, it, it, it doesn't, there's no mandate there. We've seen how much progress women have made. It's been no limitation uh, on, on women's aspirations. Um, you should vote no. And what do you think will happen, Laura? Well, obviously the numbers are against you at the moment and, and a lot of it, because of, because of the misinformation, you know, groundwork for referendums are, let, are, are laid a year or two in advance. And because it's been constantly touted as the woman's place is in the home amendment, which is not what it says, um, but that's the phrase people have taken from it because that's what government, government ministers keep saying wrongly, erroneously, as a form of misinformation and then accuse you of doing exactly the same thing. Um, 
it, it, it probably will pass. But as I said, that, that's mainly because people keep saying it says certain things that it doesn't. It recognises the work you do at the home. Mothers should keep their place and their recognition within the constitution. Just on that, I, I definitely didn't bring up anything tactically. Um, I'm here to be the the fact person. Um, and actually then, just on that point, it's not particularly that it was those two men alone. Um, there are a whole range of historians who have looked into this in depth and have gone into the constitution and the history and the drafting of it. And a lot of them have noted the fact that it was influenced by the uh, encyclical Rerum Novarum. And that states, uh, a quote, that a woman is by nature fitted for homework and is that which is best, best adapted once to preserve her modesty and promote the good uh, upbringing of children and well-being of the family. So actually it goes even further back than de Valera and uh, the Archbishop um, into other kind of Roman encyclicals at the time. So it's, it's, not just, it's not just those two men. Thank you very much for those other facts as well. I appreciate it. And finally, Aideen, what do you think is going to happen on March 8th, International Women's Day, when people get a chance, maybe in not huge numbers, it sounds like, uh, but a chance to vote on these um, referendums? I think we're going to pass both a, a yes and a yes, a thaw and a thaw. Um, I think probably the turnout will not be as big as the last two referenda, uh, referendum. So um, that is kind of to be expected. But I do think we this is all very healthy to be having these conversations about the Irish society that we want and the future that we want for our country. Okay, well, I do think it's been a very interesting, engaging conversation. And I want to thank you all for that, um, Laura, Aideen and Jen. And we'll see what happens. Uh, it's interesting. Does anyone have an opinion on them putting it on International Women's Day? Because some people have found it's a bit of a cynical move. Does anyone think it's a, it's a great thing that they did it or a bad thing? Laura? The whole exercise is cynical because... They've run the country so badly. So they're, they're looking for, you know, a couple of wins on this. Um, I mean, you know, it, it, I wouldn't put anything past them. So, yeah. And uh, you, uh, Aideen, with your Manoa Manoa jumper on there, I presume <laughs> you, you like the fact that it's something you can do on International Women's Day, go out and vote yes, yes. I think we should be celebrating it. Yeah, I think it, it, it's something that we should do. And we have to think about our mothers, our grandmothers and all of those women that have gone before and whether their lives were healthy and happy. And that's why I think it's really important that we go out and celebrate for those women. Forget the men, go out for those women. Well, thank you all very much. It'll be interesting to see and we'll come back and discuss it again. But for now, Laura, Aideen and Jen, thank you for coming on the Women's Podcast to talk about these important issues. Thank you. Thank you. That was Laura Perrins, Aideen Barry and Jennifer Bray there. Lots to think about ahead of the March 8th referendums. And I do hope you all get out to vote if you are able. And I hope this helped you make up your mind if you were a bit on the fence. And if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast, please leave us a review or subscribe to the podcast as it really makes a difference to us. The podcast is produced by Suzanne Brennan and by me, Roisin Ingle, with JJ Vernon on sound. Talk to us on social at IT Women's Podcast or email us on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. That's it for me. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. Hold up. 
Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food, and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.